0: Welcome to Two Christians and a Jew, where two Christians and a Jew start digging into the Hebrew scriptures to see how we interpret them differently and what we can learn from one another so that we all walk with God more closely. My name is Jennifer Brown Jones. I am a professor of Old Testament with a PhD in Christian theology. I really want to learn more about the Jewish traditions and the way that Jewish people interpret the scriptures, especially looking at things like uh, the midrash and the Talmud. Frank, how about you?
1: My name is Frank M. Taylor. The M is important because that's how you can find me on Google. Uh, I have a background in languages and uh, linguistics, and it just so happens that I'm a super great big fan of ancient and modern Hebrew. Uh, I really like uh, learning about Judaism and I'm fascinated by it. And, you know, what I'm hoping for is that we get to connect Christianity with Judaism and. We get to learn what Judaism has to do with Christianity, and we get to dive into words and what they mean. We get to dive into language and how language affects us. What I'm hoping, too, is that we get to transfer knowledge going from one side to the other and learn... A lot more from each other about what our traditions are because there's so much that uh, we we barely understand uh, sometimes about each other. And I just hope we get to dive deep in learning who we are and what we believe and how and why we believe it and what that means for us.
2: I'm Mayor. We can all say Mayor. It's like Mayor. Mayor. Here. Mayor. Mayor. Full name is. Meir Simcha. Meir means luminary or enlightening, and Simcha means joy. I got into this because I was studying philosophy in college and had all sorts of high-minded ideas. After graduation or toward graduation, I found myself wondering, well, but how do I live all this? How do I integrate all these grand ideas into daily life? And I followed that question to Israel, to immerse myself in the language and a holistic community where Torah is the way of life instead of just this religious thing that people tack on. My big hope for this podcast, well, okay, so first I'll give you one of the the selfish reasons for the podcast is that I love to be a Um, (laughs) know-it-all. I I don't have hopes so much of being a wise man, but I do aim to be a wise guy and... (laughs) It only makes sense. So, yeah. Now I know what I'm in for. So if I can be a wise guy, if I can teach, I'm very, very happy doing that. I guess the, the sort of grander vision that I have is just, I've had conversations with people with, with non-Jews, uh, with Christians in particular, and we'll, we'll be discussing something in the Hebrew scriptures and I'll remark on something that for me is maybe something I'm not even aware of is very significant, but for for the other, it makes some connection that they never thought about before, watch their eyes light up and what was before something meaningful has just become, has just taken on a whole new layer of writing and a whole new depth. That's what I would most hope to do, to make the word of God more accessible to Christians from the original language and from the perspective of people who have studied it in a particular way for a long time.
0: Well and that sounds like how I started on my journey too. I loved watching the people light up when they started realizing the relevance for their lives, but especially of Hebrew Bible or as Christians call it Old Testament. Uh, we'll probably wind up using that somewhat interchangeably, I'm guessing. But that was it for me when I started seeing how the Old Testament mattered for Christians today, and that's part of why I went down the route of doing a PhD focused on Old Testament because mm-hmm. or the Hebrew Bible because I want wanted to help Christians better understand that. Coming at it from a Christian perspective, but pulling in the traditions, and I love how you talked about moving to Israel to live Torah. There are ways that we can draw on traditions, even though, say, the temple isn't built and sacrifices aren't being all offered. That doesn't mean that it doesn't still matter and we can't still learn from it.
2: Yeah, that's cruel irony, moving (laughs) to Israel when you really know very little about what's going on like oh i want to live torah and then you come here and it's like oh we're all still figuring it out and (laughs) we don't have a temple and kind of well we really need one (laughs) right so we've got some trouble yeah but there's a
0: long rich history of how jews or you know originally israelites have lived that that's fascinating and i'm excited to learn more about that
2: oh yeah that's l'chaim to life
1: yes i also too like to drink Wait, no, that's never no, mind. No, no, no.
2: oh. uh, someday I I'll I have
0: to, 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 to tell you the story sure. of Chaim in my first Hebrew class. Oh
2: yeah?
0: Someday, not today. Yeah. Okay, okay. But I believe, didn't you just celebrate Rosh Hashanah this past weekend?
2: Yes. Happy New Year. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. How how has that's it been tough. how has it been so far? Oh man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Whew, that was good. <laughs> well, I don't want to toot my own horn, but <laughs> it was Inc. it was pretty awesome um i actually i blew shofar for for my community uh, and oh, it was cool. extremely difficult i um i have a shofar that would ordinarily sort of blow itself um and uh this year it kind of had a mind of its own a part of this to, to date precisely where we are in geopolitical time right mm-hmm. um we're in the middle of the coronavirus mess, right? Mm, right. Um, and as a result, a lot of the, uh, many of the communities that were getting together were, uh, were praying outside. So my community okay. um, was smaller than it would usually be and in a different location than it would usually be, and we were in the garden of uh, one of the students of my rab- of my rabbi, and to cool things down sufficiently because it is, it is cooling down, but it's still, we, we had a very significant heat wave. Um, it's been pretty hot this summer, um we you know we had an awning over us and we had these really loud fans and the fans made it impossible for me to hear the overtones of the shofar the way i usually would so it was like imagine cooking with your hands numb and that, that's what it was like blowing this here it was like you'd be looking at your hands to see like okay am i holding the pot right and and so i it was it was very strange um but but we did it uh, to
1: be clear the the shofar that's a a ram's horn isn't it yes it's like some sort of curly ram's horn or something and you've got like the tight end and then i mean is there a technique with the lips or something or is I mean, and that's how you get the shofar the,
2: sound that's exactly right. So yes. So shofar is a ram's horn. There, there are actually some great videos on YouTube um, for seeing how they're made. Um, and the, the trick is to get out the inside of the shofar. And uh, so you have to soften it up enough that you can take out and remove the inside. Okay. Um, You'll have an outer shell, which is hard enough that that uh it'll harden back into place and blow it and uh and it's like a trumpet. It's open on both ends. Um you actually it's more like a bugle because a bugle doesn't have vowels. Right. Okay. So you can, that's what you I was can blow a few different tones on a shofar, but it's based on how much air you're forcing through. You're using the we could get really geeky and talk about the physics of, of this, but it's uh you know it's it's a very, very simple instrument. And that's part of the point. Huh. Like it's supposed to be very um many of the things in the Torah are intention are are specifically primal huh. right so okay. when, when you when you read about Shlomo, about Solomon building the temple, and it talks about the pools that he built, and it gives you, it specifically tells you that the ratio of conference to diameter yeah. is three, as opposed right. to pi, right? Yep. It's giving you a, a, it's it's not intending to be exact. This is not the word right. of God defining pi as three. It's <laughs> it's giving you a very primal <clears throat> way to relate to what that ratio is. So without right. higher mathematics, just a very simple experiential sense of what that That proportion is. It's a very simple uh, primal relationship to sound and to uh, transmission across time. And maybe even to, I mean, we can get into what shofar is about. Um, I think maybe some other things we should talk about first. But yeah, shofar is primal. It is a very simple instrument with a very, uh, very primal sound.
1: Huh. I never knew that. I didn't realize there was a primal theme going on there. That's, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Um, Huh. Uh yeah I've already I've already learned some things and uh yeah I just knew that it was some sort of horn uh it is it good
2: is Good to know that
1: good to know that there's some technique though um so <laughs> a little but, bit more time. well right but uh so a question though is um why this show far why why are you blowing a ram's horn is that a fair question to ask Yeah sure um Can I get the like the TLDR
2: the like super quick or is this going to... Yes, yes. Here is the very simple answer and I think it'll take us into the text itself. Very simple, straightforward answer for why we blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah is mm-hmm. that it's a mitzvah. It's a commandment that we're given in the Torah that this is supposed to be a day of blasts, of shofar blasts. And so that's why we blow shofar.
1: Okay, so you the word mitzvah and...
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. If I, if, if I,
1: well Well, hold up. So... I, like, I I have friends who have gone to a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah. So, mitzvah is like a celebration.
2: Uh uh Uh-huh, wait, 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 hold on. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just wondering, (laughs) like, what what is, are you, what is a mitzvah? I'm just, I'm just curious, Frank, because I have a feeling that you know better than you're saying. I mean, you're asking, it's a nice inference, right? I, I think, uh, I think you're playing what, dumb on
1: What what is it? Dialogue by exposition or something? Like there's a literary <laughs> thing for it, but okay. So pretend Good. you didn't know me. Okay. And okay. I was curious I'm, what I'm is not, a mix I'm not going to
2: let you do this. I, I want you to tell me what you think of this. Pretty sure it's a like a, a Well,
1: so I do know a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah is that's what happens when um, a male or female uh, who's Jewish comes of age. That's when they get together. They have a reading in a synagogue and then there's a great big party afterward. But then I also hear mitzvah in this totally different context, which sounds something like uh, commandment or... Uh, something you're supposed to do. And so um, I know from the outsider looking in that the only thing that I ever knew about a bar mitzvah was from Mr. Kaminsky, my high school Jewish uh, band director, who told everyone in class what uh, a bar mitzvah was. And that was how we learned. What's that?
2: Did he ever blow shofar for you guys?
1: No, um, he didn't. Um, I mean, he, he, and it was funny. I, uh, I went to high school in a very tiny town in the Midwest. Um, he was the only Jew that lived in 75 miles. So, Um, He taught high school band, but he would go around all the schools uh, once a year when we would have curriculum on the Holocaust just to explain to us what it meant to be Jewish because none of us had any context. So he was our token Jew for the entire like three districts around us. Um, But I remember him telling us about our mitzvah and how... He went to a bar mitzvah and uh, he got most of the money to pay for college through the bar mitzvah. That was my first introduction to it. And and then I didn't learn about mitzvah again until I started learning about Judaism when I was in college. And then I hear mitzvah more and more as I talk to folks who are in the know in Judaism and it definitely doesn't sound like party any.
2: Okay. So yeah, let let me let me assure you that the the meaning of mitzvah is closer to commandment than it is to party. Right. Um, right. And yeah, there are 613 uh, mitzvot which apply to all generations in the Torah. Um, it is in a very uh, challenging exercise to try to figure out which they are and there right. are debates among uh, you know across the generations as to precisely what those 613 are um, right there, there's substand you know almost total agreement but very very interesting edge um, right so uh, the reason why we would call somebody a bar mitzvah or bat is that when a child reaches puberty basically mm-hmm. then they become obligated in the mitzvah they become obligated to follow the commandments right uh, that's that's the simple simple take on right. what i'm
1: and so when we're talking about a shofar And that being a mitzvah, that's a commandment.
2: Man, you made this TLDR. You you turned this into a whole thing here. (laughs)
1: There, I'm sorry, it was a really big semicolon,
2: right? Between the tell in the DR. Kind of, we're, we're like in a big footnote here. But no, this <laughs> That's, is important, right? I mean, like, right. we got to know what a mitzvah is. Yeah. Right. So well, so but, if
0: we're taking that back as a command that we're going to take back to the text, if it's a mitzvah in Torah, then we have two places where we see it. We see a discussion of it in Numbers, but also in every book, Viticus, Viticus 23. Yes.
1: yes. And first of all, um, I, I'm sorry for taking the detours. I have to take another one really quick because I did, I did an informal poll yesterday and today uh, asking people on Twitter and on Facebook and just asking friends, like, how many sermons have you heard from Leviticus? And the answer is generally zero to one. If so, if almost everyone that I know, like if they've heard a sermon from Leviticus, period, it was about homosexuality and that, like, first thing, so there's not teaching out of Leviticus typically, um, except for that one case, and the other thing, too. The like, book of it, the Torah reduced to one verse. <laughs> oh, no, no. It it, 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 it it gets even better, though, because if you ask, like, almost everyone that I know that's ever done, like, a read, a read the Bible in a year plan, <laughs> where uh, they're like, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm a new Christian or I'm an old Christian. I'm going to just plow through the Bible in a full year, which, why? But whatever. They do it, and they've got all this energy going into Genesis and Exodus, and they're like, yeah this is awesome. And then y- their eyes just kind of glaze over and they just kind of go numb once they hit Leviticus. And they're like, Ugh. and like, I, I kid you not, I can't tell you how many Bible studies I've been in where they, where you just say Leviticus and like, it's like teenage eye rolling. of, Ugh. Oh, wow. Don't bring it up. And it
2: okay. Like, so I got to tell you that traditionally we begin teaching our children torah with leviticus that's where wow. we start but but
1: but but first of all like you guys don't call it leviticus like leviticus no. is like it's like vikra or something like that
2: that's right vikra
1: and that means something like calling out that's or right. he calls right that's right we which well, if i think if we called it um god was calling out maybe that would have been a better title for the book than leviticus
2: now you Just might say it friend but i believe that in french translation of the bible it actually follows the hebrew uh il crey, right uh i,
1: I all my so, french bibles are downstairs if but, the
2: pronunciation could be awful, <laughs> but
1: yeah um that sounds right i mean but we have that in a few different cases where uh, specifically in English, we get some translations that aren't as good. And that, by the way, happens yeah. in the New Testament. Everywhere happens else, everywhere. In the happens everywhere. Yeah, in, in the New Testament, like outside of English, it's called the Apocalypse, not the Book of Revelation. So the fact that we also don't do well with our Hebrew, it's just kind of on par. Yeah. But hmm. um, I, I just wanted to take us down, down that really quick, that uh, we don't hear a lot about Leviticus outside of, you know, The one verse.
2: I mean, not to Uh, mention Leviticus is completely a wrong name because Leviticus leads you to think that it would be about the Levite who are obviously involved. But if you wanted to pick out a book of the Torah as this is the story of the Levites, you would probably go for Numbers. Yeah. And if you wanted to say who is the book of quote unquote Leviticus about, you would probably say it's about the Kohanim. It's about the priests. Right. Um, Yeah. Well, I I don't know what's going on with that historical but there are, tra- well, I think there, there are some translators who have to answer for themselves. As
0: yeah, far as translations true. go, I mean, we've got a problem with Leviticus, but let's just step back and talk about how Christians tend to talk about the first five books. We call them the law. Now that's coming yes. because the I'm word sure. Torah is, is translated into Greek as namas, namas law. But the problem is contemporary mm-hmm. Christians bring connotations to law that don't fit week of legislation. But right. we get a lot of a lot more instruction you get narrative there's a lot more material and so, but we come to it as this idea of law and then we have negative connotations that we associate with it instead mm. of seeing it as a gift and it right. is an expression of i really think god's great and we well tend to I have, to have tell that obscured you. by translation again
2: i gotta tell you so if you look at probably if we had to single out one person as the most important classical commentator like medieval classical mm. commentator on the torah we would probably point to rashi who who lived in provence france uh rashi his first comment on the torah so the very first verse in the beginning god created etc etc his very first comment is wait hold on why does it start here it should have started with the first mitzvah to the people right? mm. that this is the beginning of your months which is often exodus as we're about to leave egypt like why doesn't the torah start there I mean, isn't this about mitzvot? Isn't this about commandments? Isn't this about law? And and so he he starts off by answering that question. What what is the purpose of starting with this whole story about creation? What are you going to do with that anyway? Huh. How do you live? That? How,
0: how does that change how you live?
2: Yeah. 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 Wow. Didn't realize that.
1: And and this is me kind of backing up a little bit, like because in in Christianity we have a really rich tradition of theologians who provide commentary, but. You have that too, you have just as rich, if not a richer uh, history of uh, interpreting and understanding your scripture. And Rashi is kind of the tippy top, right? In terms of uh, commentators that you get in terms of people that help kind of explain scripture and talk about it.
2: Yeah, Rashi is is top flight. Uh, Rashi is everybody to know Rashi the Cliff. It's a good question why that would be the case. by the time Rashi was writing, you know, the Jewish (laughs) world was already very dispersed. So at that right. point, you you had you know enormous communities throughout the Middle East, um, Spain, um, growing communities in uh, Germany and France, and Poland uh, and Russia. Um, the Yemenite community was already there. The Ethiopian community was already in. so. You already had a, a very significant dispersion of Jewry. So how does one guy writing in Provence, Spain, and Provence France become so crucial for Jews throughout the whole world um, and I mean, I guess the the simple answer is that what he did has has universal application. It doesn't matter where you are, um, but the 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 importance of the commentary and what he what he does there is so important becomes important for everybody. Um sure. There, it was very strange that you were describing him as the the tippy top, because when I think of the, the geometry of uh, commentary on Torah, well, first to what you said about um, you know, the tradition of commentary, like the, the traditional Jewish mode of thought, like Jewish thought is commentary. You're always commenting on a text by somebody else, right? You're right. commenting on the Torah, you're commenting on the Mishnah, commenting on the Talmud, you're commenting on Rashi's commentary. Right. A super commentary. So the Gore Arya by the Maharal of Prague is a fantastic super commentary written on Rashi. Um, and there, you know, if you open up, well, I mean, I don't need to multiply examples. But but uh, you even in the medieval period, you see people um, like Ramban. Ramban actually defines this in his introduction to to his commentary. He says, "I'm taking as the basis for my commentary." the commentary of Rashi. That's where Mm -hmm. I'm starting. And then I'm also going to relate to the comments of uh, Rabbi uh, Avraham Ibn Ezra, who was the greatest commentator in Spain of the previous generation or two before Ramban. Um, and uh, And then he has many original ideas too, where he disagrees with both of them. But you see very, very frequently in his comment on the Torah, when he's explaining Torah, first he'll tell you the opinion of Rashi, then he'll tell you the opinion Of, uh, Rabbi and Ezra. Then he'll tell you why he disagrees with them both, and then he'll tell you his own opinion. Um, This is the very this is the classic Jewish way of thinking about these things. Everything needs to be knitted together. I think
0: that's something that Christians can learn from, and I think it's something we tend to feel a little comfortable with. This idea of debate within Christian academics. When you'll you'll have Christian scholars who will look at whatever book it is of the Old Testament, and they will agree, hope, grace. One another, um, but they come to different conclusions. But you get lay people in the church, and I think sometimes we feel like we have to have the right answer, and hmm. we have trouble holding intention that there are different interpretations, and we have to choose to major on the majors and not major on the minors. And I think that's something we can learn from because we've seen different, you know, interpretations of different parts of Scripture. If you want to get right. an, a big look at say the break between the Protestant church and the Catholic, or it, that would be a major where there's been a disagreement that's had mm. huge ramifications, but I think this this need, or I what I really appreciate is how you're talking about it's all commenting on text, so maybe you're interpreting scripture, being very cognizant that while I may say that the Word of God is inspired, that doesn't my interpretive.
2: Well, uh, hopefully, <laughs>
0: hopefully, <laughs> but I think sometimes I think sometimes, and I I can fall into the trap. So if I'm pointing a finger at anybody, I've got a couple coming back Um we get, we get wed to our particular. There's,
2: I think that we tend to accept that there are is in general no one definitive interpretation that there are certain things that are that are definitely out of bounds and they're and they're very well defined reasons for them being out of bounds it's easy to say why something would be out of bounds but uh within the realm of the possible you know part of what we want to do when we're exploring scripture is to explore the whole range of what is in the in the possible we don't want just we don't want to hear just one interpretation. Part of the, one of the, this is actually talked out in the Talmud. When you go to learn Torah, you walk into the Beit Midrash, you walk into the study hall where everybody's sitting and learning, and you hear that these people are saying that this thing is pure, and there are these people over here saying that the same thing is impure, and they go back and forth, and and you walk in, and or they're saying that it's kosher and they're saying that it's pasul and you know it's forbidden it's permitted you know all the possible permutations of uh of how to um uh, of the the legal definition of of something and and you walk away from this going how on earth am I going to learn this like what what am I learning like what 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 does this amount to if nobody can agree on it and the 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 answer is basically open up your ears listen to it all and then come up with a consistent interpretation.
0: One of my mentors said all my interpreter written in soft lead pencil so that I can change my mind as I as I learn more and come to new and deeper understanding.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I, I didn't mean to take us on yet another tangent there. But, um, <laughs> I think you, but did. <laughs> you, you know, you're right, I totally did. Uh, I'm really bad at the expositional dialogue thing. But It's, uh, we we don't know about this from the outside looking in, that this is a thing that happened, that uh, there are all these commentators and that this is a tradition in Judaism, which is why uh, it's really important. We have these conversations with someone who's Jewish because we come from kind of a different approach of reading this. So it's good to know that there are commentators, there are people who have been out there for a long time, helping understand how to interpret scripture, because we just We don't know these, and this can help us a lot in understanding stuff. And I do want to say we keep talking about this word scripture, and we had a scripture. But we should probably like actually dive into the, you know, the actual words, because I think we've been talking about Leviticus, but can we... Since you
0: love Leviticus, let's focus on Leviticus I do. today.
1: I love <laughs> it so much, no. please.
0: Numbers has a lot of the same material. It seems to expand on some of the sacrifices. I, that's, I mean, there are other differences, but that seems to be primary difference. So I can get at the we're, we're it. We're We're focusing
2: here on, on Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. And let's wanted...
0: mention that Rosh Hashanah is not actually in the text mentioned, and it's right, definitely not a new year celebration. Right. So we'll have to dig into that too.
2: That's right. So right. Uh, so if we want to jump into the Leviticus, can I just call it Vayikra? Yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> Sure, for today,
0: but next time we'll have to remind people again.
2: Okay. Okay. So if we want to jump into the place in Vayikra where well, Hashanah is defined, uh, you would open up to chapter 23 and you would see that that chapter um, by the way, the chapters are are not defined by jews the The no. chapter numbers are I don't know who in the Christian tradition did it, but that's, that that those are defined by Christians, and they actually uh quite frequently disagree with the the paragraph that we have but
0: sometimes they really don't make sense uh yes <laughs> in the Test, we have that in the New Testament as well, it's not just in the Old Testament, so don't take it personally.
2: <laughs> no, I didn't take a <laughs>
0: um
2: but the uh, I believe at the, the start of chapter twenty three that starts this kind of calendar. It's
0: focus on this, sacred time.
2: Speaking of bar mitzvah earlier, um this is actually the section of the Torah that I read for my bar mitzvah. Oh. There you go. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't cool. supposed to, so to work So this,
0: this is yeah. a good place for us to start then.
2: Yes. Um so the I'll give you uh the Hebrew and uh my translation where the bear of the night so um i'm going to say Yudke Vavke, and that is going to mean the four letter name of god so Yudke Vavke spoke to moshe saying israel speak to the israelites saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month there will be for you a shabbaton i have to get into what that means a remembering of shofar blasts a declared time of holiness. All creative labor you shall not do. You shall bring an offering by fire to Yud Kav Actually, I I should probably probably say hi. Hashem. Hashem is usually in in Orthodox truer circles when you're rather than use rather than pronounce the four letter name as if we were reading scripture usually we'll say Hashem, which means literally the name. Um, we're very careful with, with this name, and actually with all uh, sanctified names of it. We don't say them without purpose.
0: And for <laughs> Christians who may be reading along, if you were looking in your your Old Testament, that is where you'll see Lord in all capital yep. letters. That is the, the divine name, the sacred name, Hashem. So that's, that's why sometimes when you see Lord with capital L, little O-R-D, um, that would be Adonai, but the name is when you have all caps.
2: That's right. Um, It's nice because Lord has four letters, but <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> but but it, it's terrible for another reason because Lord. I mean, the truth is, Lord is actually a good translation of how we read the name when we're reading the Torah. It uh, the name that you said just before, Ado, completed in your mind. Um, mm-hmm. That that actually means Lord or Master or something like that. Um right. But the the four letter name itself doesn't really mean that. Mm-hmm. If you look at the those letters, Yud and then Hey, Vav, Hey, what that immediately evokes to your eyes, and it's easy to make mistakes sometimes when you're reading, is it looks like the two beaver. Yes. It, it looks like you put together the words for um, uh, haya, hoe, yehyeh, so mm-hmm. was is, will be, it looks like you put them all together. So if you if you wanted a semantic translation of that combination of letters, it would probably be more correct to say something like the eternal. But even that has another problem to it, which is that things like the Lord or the eternal sound, that, that's a title, it's a description. Yeah. But Instead this is a, a description. Dramatically, this is a name. It's like, yeah. it is a proper name.
0: Um, and so you get a depersonalization that can distance you from- from
2: it yeah I, I think yeah. when when I look at English translations that's, that's very very much what I feel when when I see the name written out that way I think it's it, it's much better to write God in all capital letters to differentiate it from other names that are being translated God um, because that doesn't it doesn't have the same personal distancing but even so like even um, the usage of of a name like that, God, what does that mean? It's not a, it's not a person, exactly.
0: Yeah. And there is one translation, I believe, I'm not sure which one where... I think the the Y-H-W-H is used, or sometimes, I, or I don't know if maybe they add in some vowels. vowels
2: yeah. I,
0: I won't use that here just out of respect, but um, I think that there is one translation that does that. And so there may be some value in that,
2: yeah, at least yeah. as a
0: designation to help mm-hmm. us see, yeah, right. Cognizant of, this is a personal name. This isn't a distant, far off God. I mean, he is, he is transcendent, but there's also this idea that this is, yeah, the, this name is the wrong very, word to use, but it's a personal, the, personal.
2: Yeah. I, I would say that my experience of reading these names is that the, it's not personal, it's intimate.
0: Yes. That's much better. Thank you.
2: And part of what makes it intimate is that, is that there is a sense of distance and there is a sense of awe mm-hmm. and there is a sense of I'm only saying this name at a time when it's appropriate to say this name. It's not always appropriate to use that like in everyday conversation. If I'm talking about God, I wouldn't pronounce those names explicitly. Um, It's just, it's not the right context for it. So um, so that sense of appropriateness, that sense of awe, I think is what is a big part of what allows for a relationship. I think that's true for relationships in general. Um, I feel that very strongly between, uh, between a teacher and a student that that sense of distance and respect and awe, um, is necessary. I mean, there are different teacher student relationships. You know, we can't define what a relationship is without knowing what, who are the people involved and precisely how they're connected to each other. But, um, but that can be an aspect of that relationship. That's something that was lost for me. The relationships that i had with my teachers um growing up in, in secular america um but something that that's a very strong component of my experience today um and also I, I think that between um the between uh you know husband and wife and between child and parent you know this sense of distance the sense of otherness the sense of um you know my relationship to the other has to be sensitive to that. i can't just do whatever i can't yeah. do whatever i feel like this isn't I don't own this name to just go do whatever I feel like. Like, um.
0: Well, and I think the whole book of Leviticus, for all the, the complaints, is it's getting at that idea that there is that which is appropriate and there is that which is not. There is a proper time. There is a proper place. Mm. There is a proper way of coming in to the presence of the God they worship. It's that not something to be taken lightly.
2: Yes. That is literally built into the very first verse of Leviticus. Mm. And if we're gonna go back to it, right? So at the very end of the book of Exodus, you have we have finally constructed the Mishkan, the Oh, what, tabernacle. A terrible, the tabernacle. Tabernacle. what the heck is a tabernacle? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's relatable. Um, mishkan, the, the Hebrew word, means dwelling place, mm-hmm. dwelling. Literally, it's very simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually, it has all sorts of interesting poetic resonances, but on a simple level, that's what it is. The alternate term, which is used frequently, I, I've seen this translated different ways, as tent of meeting, for example, mm-hmm. That's actually that's actually a pretty good translation tent of meeting the ohel moed is the tent of appointment of appointed meeting time designated meeting time something like that but the point is that at the end of exodus we've uh, constructed the, the Mishkan, and the, the cloud has completely enveloped it. And Moshe, uh, Moses, is standing outside wondering, can I go in? What is now? it appropriate? He has a sense of the cloud has engulfed the whole thing. It's not appropriate to charge into the cloud, even though this is the place I'm supposed to be inside. And so he's, he's holding back. And then Opens up the next book of the Torah and waikra el Moshe, and he called to Moshe. He called to Moses. Who called to Moses? Well, it's assuming you read the previous book. It's it's God calling to Moses. The subject isn't a part of the the sentence there. It says he called to Moses, right? And then in the next half of the sentence, it it fills in the blank. It it tells you who's talking. Yeah. Um, so that that waikra that. Calling is an invitation. It's a very, very intimate thing.
0: Far from our typical interpretation of the book. So what we're looking at here
1: is an intimate calling from, from the creator of the universe, you, civic.
2: Yeah. So yeah, it's an invitation
1: that that means something wild for us too, I would think, because th- it's intimate. That means there's relationship involved. It means that Christians who are just kind of glazing their eyes through this, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should be like, oh man, this could have to do with how I right?
2: Oh yeah, the the op the the opening of Leviticus. I imagine people read it as like, okay, this is about what it's about sacrifices 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 the word for sacrifices is korban korban has the the root that that means close it doesn't mean sacrifice it doesn't mean something being given up it doesn't mean burning something it means specifically being close that that is what the opening of leviticus is about it is about being close it's this invitation it's the the closeness the intimacy the relationship that's affected by by these offerings that are given that can be given. And very strangely, you know, if your eyes haven't glazed over too much when you're when you're reading through the book, you'll see that you have an initial presentation of the quote-unquote sacrifices, and then you have the same sacrifices presented again in the next chapters of Leviticus. And the main difference is the some of the differences in the terminology with how they're referred to, and another big difference is the order in which they're presented. And if you look at the the second ordering is an ordering in terms of I guess we could say like obligation um, whereas the first ordering the opening of this book is an ordering in terms of you could think of it like the 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 amount of shared the extent to which you're sharing relationships the extent to which you're not exactly how to not exactly sure how to say it but it's it's an ordering in terms of gift in terms of relationship in terms of intimacy whereas the second ordering is is about obligation what do you need to do where's your focus need to be and you can't have one without the other (laughs) but Yeah. Is it a
1: matter of like one is one is a matter of the heart and the other is the matter of the mind? That, mm, would that be a way I don't to is I think
2: I guess I would say that there like different dimensions or different aspects of that okay. that need to be involved in the same thing i don't think i'd say it's a hard mind thing um i guess i see it in terms of the context of relationship That that's the initial thing you start with and then there's the the discipline the action and the oh, okay. the, the need for uh drive alacrity so if, that's we wanted,
0: so if we wanted to get back then
2: <laughs> yeah, let's Supposedly,
0: get we're trying mm-hmm. to talk about what has what is described in a lot of English Bibles as the Feast of Trumpets. That's what becomes Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah.
2: Mm. Um,
0: and you you read a translation for us that I think was helpful. Yeah. Um, but there are a few things that are kind of distinctive that raised questions for me. One, you translated rather well. You more transliterated Shabbaton. That's right. Yeah. So how does Shabbaton, excuse me, compare with Shabbat or Sabbath?
2: Right. So you've, you've got the right base word. That's, that's Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. So the, oh, wow. Okay. Um, I just realized that it's really important to define what Shabbat is, what the Sabbath is. Um,
0: Yeah. I kind of assumed, sorry, that's, that's a good catch. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Wow. Okay. Um, No, this is amazing. This is very, it's, it's illuminating for me and and amazing to go over. Um, It's, it's always rewarding to go back to basic fundamental conception and to think yeah. them through. Um, so well, why don't you guys take a crack? I've been doing a lot well, of talk. Well, what, do you, what do you know?
1: Christians will you will sometimes hear in the Christian faith uh, <clears throat> the Sabbath day. Um, my sure. mother likes to tell me that I was born on the Sabbath, uh, which is uh, a <laughs> Not really a
0: compliment, wh- to which is
1: which is really a long way of saying you were born on Sunday. By the way, a month and five days post-sure, which is why I really don't appreciate you. Sorry, Mom. Um, but but uh, that's the context that I usually hear with Sabbath is, well, it's uh, the Lord's Day uh, and it's Sunday and you get a church on the Sabbath. And it's, that's about it um, in terms of Sabbath. And what I've learned from... Um, just being around a minute in Christianity now is that okay? Well, it's supposed to mean rest. Um, and I know etymologically speaking, that in uh, uh, Spanish, when we say sábado, that actually comes from Sabbath. That Spanish word for sun- Sunday literally means Sabbath, and it's the same in Portuguese too. Um, Whoa!
2: Wait, how do you say Saturday?
1: Saturday.
0: Saturday or Sunday? I don't know Spanish
1: well. Well, I'm I'm confusing things because um, it's it it is for Saturday that okay. that sábado means Sabbath. Um, That's where it came from. Um, And
0: isn't there a pretty complex, I'm not familiar with the entire history, but the shifting of Christian celebration from Saturday to Sunday in the early, after the early church period in the church fathers, I don't know the details of how that developed. But originally, if we're looking at Shabbat, you're looking at the seventh day so that was saturday starting i believe at sundown on friday is it sundown to sundown is that right that's
2: right, that's right. the jewish and
0: day, it, the, a day uh, of i think i think of it as a day of rest seeing from work
2: mm-hmm. yeah that's exactly right that's the you could, you could say that there's a sometimes we use the terminology of a positive mitzvah and a negative mitzvah. Okay, probably right. better to say that they're a mitzvot of doing and they're mitzvah of not
0: so abstaining maybe
2: of, Yeah, you could say abstaining. In some cases, it makes sense to say abstaining. In some cases, uh, you'd want another word to define the not doing. But in in the case of Shabbat, we have both the cessation of creative labor, the abstention from that for that day going from Friday night to Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a positive mitzvot, mitzvot of doing that are associated with the Sabbath. So we sanctify it with words. We make kiddush. We use words to define okay. it as a special time. This comes to a very fundamental concept for us of havdalah, of uh, separation and defining the boundaries of the thing, defining the differences between things. So when we think about one of, one of the themes themes that emerges very strongly when you read the story of creation, first story of creation, Genesis 1. When you read Genesis 1 in the original language, one of the most powerful themes to emerge is that things are created by separating them out right. from other things. Yes. Yeah. That actually, that goes back to a word we talked about before, bar, bar mitzvah, right? right. Bar in that sense is usually understood to mean son of, like bar mitzvah, mm-hmm. son of. A mitzvah, or the, whereas bat is daughter, daughter of Mitzvah. Right? Right. So it's referring to a, a male who's subject to the mitzvah or a female who's subject to the um, mm-hmm. But the uh, more fundamental meaning of bar is to be uh, outside. So the bar, the son, is the outside of the parents. He is the, their, their union who is made outside from them. He is a new body. <laughs> outside of them. When we uh, when we talk about wild animals, they're hayot bar, right. hayot, animals, yeah. bar, wild, right? because they're That's outside. That. They aren't domesticated animals. They aren't animals who have been integrated into your way of life. Uh, so,
0: so I have a question. How, you know, if I go look at my dictionaries the, of biblical Hebrew into English, it doesn't, just at a quick glance, I'm not seeing this idea of separation. So where is that something that developed over time? Or do I just have, do I just need to take a closer look because that's that's actually the, very interesting to me
2: in terms of shabbat or in terms of creation? No, the
0: idea of, well, even the the idea of creation, this idea that bar relate to separation.
2: Mm-hmm. So bar bar is like outsideness. Also the, the word for wilderness, right? So the Jews wandering through the wilderness. Mid-bar. Bar, right? Okay. bar. There's that, that word again, bar.
0: Okay, um, so it's what we, so it's something that we would probably call an etymological understanding that's yeah. developing in other areas.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that the way that we relate to our words is uh, very strongly logical okay um i I'm trying to think what it would mean to relate to words, not in a logical way. Um, Well,
0: so I actually just had a student who did something with an etymological under, or it wasn't a student. It was a friend. He emailed me about something and I got back to her. I said, okay, well, I'm not going to say that nice still has the meaning of stupid embedded in it because that's where it came from in Mm -hmm. the middle Mm -hmm. English. Mm -hmm. So there's, you've got an etymological sense that you can develop, Mm -hmm. but then you also have Mm -hmm. more of a contextual, the way it's being used in an immediate, context and it looks like you're kind of combining the two
1: but but that's actually common linguistically Uh, yeah it it happens in all languages where uh, and I mean, we know this, we're reasonably uh, educated individuals, well, two out of the three, I mostly argue with people on the internet. Um, but but it, it's a thing that happens in all language, that language shifts, yeah. meaning shifts. Um, you can retain an old sense of the meaning, sometimes in archaic forms. Like I learned uh, very recently that that term rot iron for instance, rot is the past tense of work. Uh, so we, I mean, we say work now, but we didn't used to, we used to say rot and rot irons iron right and now it's just stuck in that one meaning Mm. we just say wrought iron and we don't say well uh i i I wrought uh for eight hours yesterday that just sounds weird yeah um but hebrew um if i understand correct uh i only had about ten thousand words and um that would be that would have been
0: attested in the in the written that's not necessarily i think that's that we know
2: you but can, but to, here's the good news for for anybody who wants to learn biblical Hebrew, that you can get a huge amount of mileage out of knowing two hundred root. Yeah, right. You know two hundred yeah. root and you're reading probably eighty percent of and, of the the five books of Moses.
1: And but that's an important thing to understand for anyone curious about this, that in Hebrew uh, yeah. We, we have this concept of roots, which is uh, right, a word, yeah. three letter. Yeah, letters, yeah. you can build a whole, very, very beautiful, um, elaborate uh, vocabulary from just a few words. That's and right. That's not. That's yeah. not a feature that we have um, in Romance languages, in Western Europe, or in English. The easiest way to think of it in English is prefixes and suffixes. Well. Right?
2: Like, I guess I I would push back against that a little bit. So like, in terms of why would Jews tend to think about the meanings of words etymologically, I think there there are two, maybe two really important factors for why that would be the case. So Mm -hmm. one of them is exactly what you're saying now. So we have this system of roots. And if you know the root of a word, you're very close to being able to define its right. meaning. Right, close. So that's one thing. The other thing is that because that words which appear in the Torah are being studied across the generations mm-hmm. and are always being seen in that context, so you have a kind of very conservative anchor to pull you back to those original meanings, so it makes a great deal of right. sense to trace things in those terms, whereas in English, you can trace something back to Beowulf, but Beowulf isn't a current reference for people, mm-hmm. it's not alive for yeah. people, it's same way that the Torah is alive for us. So linguistically it's not going to anchor things the same way. That's exactly but, right. But if you look at like an Indo-European dictionary, um, mm-hmm. you'll see that you have these roots that, that generate all sorts of exciting things in, in the Indo-European languages. The difference, I think, is mm-hmm. that in the Indo-European languages, including Romance languages and Germanic languages and Slavic languages and so on and so forth, that um, the different transformations that occur to those roots are not generative. Whereas right. in the language of the Torah, and even in modern Hebrew, um, the transformations are generative trans- transformations. So you can, yes. um, I, I, if you give me a root and you put it in a form that i've never seen before based on first principles i can derive for you close to what the meaning of that word should be yes
0: can you give an example for people who aren't familiar with this idea or with hebrew language sure,
2: sure. so so for example if we take the word um uh we t- t- take the word for Dress, lavash. Mm-hmm. Right, he dress, lavash. Right, or lilbosh to dress. So if I put that in a different, if I change the morphology of the word and I use something called the hilpinya, then mm-hmm. and I make it hilbish, uh, I know that that grammatical pattern indicates causation. Right. Now I know that I caused another to be dressed.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Right or I can put it in a reflexive pitlabashdu, and now I know that I caused my I I made myself dressed. I dressed myself. So that's a very very simple example that you would right. meet in the first couple of weeks of a Hebrew class mm-hmm. um, for like how the how those. So I,
1: I want to ask a little bit more of a pointed question around there. Then what does rosh mean in rosh Hasana or rosh hashanah? Ah. What <laughs> does what does that word uh, rosh mean then?
2: Okay, it, so rosh. Um, uh, means head okay does it mean a
1: literal head or does it mean okay so i have questions then because i started poking around in numbers and i and i saw some english translations where that word rush was used for uh uh like census or count Mm -hmm. or summary so how does this also mean count or summary and i i know that there's a simple answer of well words can mean more than one thing
0: I was going to say,
1: what about homonyms? But but, but my question is, um, given the fact that in Leviticus twenty three twenty, you know, we're talking about Rosh uh, Hashanah starting in the seventh month. That's really confusing because, uh, well, I mean, o, o, yes. over here in the Gregorian calendar, the, the year starts, you know at day one, month one. And what I'm seeing here, what I'm inferring from reading this is if this says, you know, okay, in the seventh month on the first day, hey, y'all, this is when, we're, I mean, this is my Texan coming out, but all right, y'all, seventh month comes around. Here's what we're going to do. We're all going to uh, chill out. Uh, and this is us starting up uh, the new year. That's very odd to hear that the start of a new year is seven months into it, and so well, what I infer. Years, how many months that- do we have in a year? Well, uh, since we're talking about a lunar calendar, uh, twelve. I- ish 13 ish that that's but,
2: exactly right so we we have we have usually 12 months in a year and periodically we have 13 we have a leap right. month instead of a leap day but
0: right. we also have to realize that in leviticus 23 it doesn't talk about this east or this time as being new year
2: that's that's true so so that's something that's going to
0: develop later and,
1: and but that's why i'm wondering about this word rosh and how we how we derive
0: like, but rosh isn't there either i don't think
2: R- right, well, rosh is, right. is not rosh isn't
0: in Leviticus 23 yeah. and but when you were that,
2: talking about the census it really does appear right but, but there are actually there are few words for head that appear there but, but, but that's Roche, my, yeah
1: yeah but that's my question here is that I know it's not there. And so here's here, here are some of my questions of, okay, the new year starts in the middle of the year, which uh, right. tells me, well, you that's must crazy. have more than one idea of year. You must have, uh, like, th- I found an explanation online that said, well, there's a civil year and then there's an ecclesiastical year. And that's eh. That, eh. that's what Nat Geo said, okay? Not my I not even know what
2: ecclesiastical is supposed
1: to mean. Cultic,
0: well, religious.
1: Religious. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> but... But that's taking me back to that word rosh, that I know it's not there. But if it means something like head of, or count of, or start of, or summary of, is that an appropriate inference? When I read, in the seventh month, the first day, you're going to observe a complete rest, and it's going to be a sacred occasion commemorated with loud blast. Sounds like a big deal. It sounds like a great way to start off a thing. It sounds like it should be ahead of, you know, your religious cycle, Is that why it's called Rosh Hashanah? Because it is a, not a physical head, but uh, that uh, more figurative leading some, I don't know, kind of, knowing that it's not written
2: there. Is that why? I think it it makes sense to say that the, the simple meaning of Rosh is head. And then there, there are metaphoric usages of the word, which are metaphoric in the sense of like uh, George Lakoff and, and Laura Um mm-hmm. that kind of research, um, if you, like that, that end of linguistics, where this isn't meant to be, a, it's not a, a metaphor that's meant to be uh, poetically uh, ambiguous or it it's not, a meant, it's not necessarily meant to be poetically evocative. Okay. It's a metaphor whose power comes from it being, it's sad that people say this in English, but, but the power of the metaphor is that it's a dead metaphor, right? Mm. It's not yeah. evocative poetically. It simply is what it means. So if you want to talk about the head of a um, tribal group, like the mm-hmm. head of a family, right? It could be the, you say it in English too, the head of, of yeah. that group, right? So the, yeah. we'll, we'll use it the same way. Um, an interesting use I just saw today when I, I was studying, uh, with my kids. This is. I now have I have four children, thank God, and um, three of them want to learn uh, Sefer Shmuel. They want to learn uh, Samuel with me. So I'm now at three different points in Samuel with <laughs> three of my kids, and then in in a different book completely with with my my fourth child. But um, but I, I've been getting confused between them, so I like forget which point of the story that I'm at, and I'll open up to the wrong place. You know, I have spoilers. You know, you know, messing things up for the people who are earlier in the book. But um, <laughs> but. But one one use that I just saw uh, today in my my with one of my children was um, when Shaul when Saul divides his army up to go attack uh, Nahash who's leading Ammon right so this is like the first war that he fights as a king and and uh, Ammon has a uh, has attacked uh, Israel. And um, the, their, their king, their, he actually isn't called a king, but Nachash, their leader, literally means snake. Um, he's, he's leading the charge. And Shaul, Saul, the way that he goes about uh, beating them is he divides his army into three Roshim, into three heads. Yeah, okay. Okay. Three three right? leaders, three heads. Three, well, he doesn't say that he appoints three leaders. It says okay. that he, he, he has three Roshim hmm. right? That, that go and attack. And, but it's like, it's, it works as a metaphor because it's immediately, it's not evocative, it's, it's explicative, yeah. explains to you exactly what he's doing, right? Yeah, you immediately yeah. feel, oh, he divided his army into three groups and each is going to attack from a different angle. You get that immediately. Yeah. Um, so again, like going back to the, the theme that, that we talked about through shofar, the things being primal, mm-hmm. right? Um, the language of the Torah is very, very primal. You have these roots they are very, feel them physically, right? You feel them in your body. You want to talk about how to measure something, you measure it in amot, right? I can show you an amah. Here's an amah, right? My right. Look at my arm, right? Um, right? You have that in English too, feet, right? Yeah. Not inches, but at least feet. You measure horses and yeah. hands, right? You yeah. feel the measurement, you know, in your body. So uh, the language of the Torah is a language where you feel it in your body and and it um, the, the, the diversity of meaning that's necessary, um, the, the expressive power comes from these grammatical transformations that, that you bring these roots through in order to, to bring out different aspects of the potential uh, in that risk there you could think of it that way um yes so it's not like but hold on hold on i want to i'm sorry to to sort of plow over you but sure. this idea of the of the new year starting in the middle of the year literally the middle of the year the seventh month <laughs> what are you first doing day of the
0: seventh that? month right.
2: and where do you get off calling this a what sense is it a new year um so here's the here's the crazy part if you if you open up the the mission, which is our compilation of oral law, because we don't have just scriptures, scripture from the, you know, the the Greek word meaning to write. Um, We don't have just scriptures. Torah has two forms. There's the written form and there's the oral form. And they, they, Constitute one Torah together, and you cannot understand one without the other. They're absolutely interdependent on each other. Um, is is how I see things. Um, so, um, so if you open up the Mishnah with a section that is about Rosh Hashanah, or is titled Rosh Hashanah, then the very first Mishnah of that section, uh, this like dense legal poem, um, tells you that there are actually four New Years. There are four Rosh Hashanah. There are four heads of the year. To play. <laughs> But yeah. It, okay. that, yeah. That's it, two more that I had on my list. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty well, okay, there must be one wherever the first month is. And now you're telling me there's another one in the seventh month. Are, you telling, are there two more now? Yes, yes, there are two more. <laughs>
0: well, as soon as we start saying it's not first or necessarily new, because I, I think that's something that we're bringing to it with the idea of new year, and that right. frames our expectation. And when you self- go use the, when you look at the Hebrew, it starts giving us room to have right. a different understanding.
1: Right. And that's why I want to like poke at this word a little bit, and it's meaning, because we're saying new year. Mm-hmm. Are we, is that really what this is? Like, I get it, okay, you know, like there is a new year, but is that really what Rosh Hashanah is mean? Does it really mean new year? Because you just told me that there's four different new years. So how do I know the difference? Well, he also
0: said heads of the year, head of the year. Right. And that's what I'm
1: trying to figure out.
2: If we want to be literal, then we could say, well, okay, let's stop saying new year. And instead, let's say year head. Right.
0: It almost sounds. Yeah, like, it sounds like
2: something you'd find in like old English, you know, yeah. like, right? Um, yep. Or a bad <laughs> yeah, translation
0: that's too rigid.
2: Yearhead, or something like that. Um, uh, yeah. So there, you, we could emphasize the difference from uh, a like modern English conception of what a New Year is. And yeah. you know, we we definitely, you know, we we aren't uh, drinking champagne at midnight when we watch the for sure. Fall Drop from the uh, Empire State Building, like that's that is not a part of our New Year activities. Um, do people still do that?
0: Oh yeah.
2: Okay. Maybe? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Especially um, in a
0: year with COVID, where you can't go to parties.
2: Yeah, party at home. Um, so, so we could sort of try to get away from New Year in that sense. But on the other hand, part of the the idea of these heads of year. Is that there really is a, a renewal that comes with them? So okay. that's actually something I was discussing this morning with with my rabbi about the, the the sense of newness that comes with with this Rosh Hashanah, with this new year. And and when we talk about the other major new year, you could say, is mm-hmm. the the beginning of the cycle of months, which is the beginning with Nisan, That's in the spring. Right. That's the Chodesh Aviv, the spring month, and that is that's why we go out of Mitzrayim. That's why we go out of egypt when we do we go out of egypt then because it is this time of that's the time to go out of the it's a time of renewal okay. uh, and and that's that's when we begin counting our months so the the beginning of that year of the the beginning of the monthly cycle is about our um not renewal but newel as a people this is when we start as a people this is when we become a free people this is when we aren't subject to other people's definition of time, this is when we define time. So that would be
0: the first day of the first
2: month. First day of the first month, which interestingly enough today, um, in modern practice is basically a Mm non-event. The the first day of the month of Nissan is, okay, I mean like we do the things that we do for the first day of every month, and they're like specific celebratory things we do. Sure. But big event in Nissan, happens in the middle of the month which is Pesach Passover. Right. Yeah.
1: So but yeah. if I feel so like I'm, I feel
2: like we should do more for for that day. Yeah.
1: So but if I'm trying to understand like what was really important about what just happened over the week um it's this idea of uh yeah it, it was a new year but it wasn't about you know things restarting from scratch right it wasn't just about rolling over uh, a date um this was about like a celebration like you know this was about getting rest and blowing a horn out of joy jubilee happy something like that right and that that helps kick start a whole set of other events that are going to happen later so when 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 we're when we're as christians when we're reading this like this is this isn't just a you know party hats on you know pop the champagne kind of deal this is this is something else this is something much deeper about your faith
2: oh yeah yeah definitely we're talking about we're talking about a mitzvah. We're talking about right. something that, you know, God wrote down for us and told us, you know, do this. Yeah. Right? and so, so, so he- is, Here's my love letter to you. In my love letter to you, I'm asking you to keep these uh, keep these dates with me. I want to have a date with you. Mm. Right? On the first I love day that. Of I love that. Dish, right? This is our date. This is our this is, it, 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 um, moed. Is the word in the the Torah for it? A okay. is a is an appointment, a date, in a time. Right. Yeah. Um, so, well here, I mean, to, to, to what you're saying, Frank, it, it's it's amazing to hear how you're putting things together. Um, let let me tell you what the four different New Years are, because yes. they're please. they're New Years with respect to different things. Awesome. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, please. Wami. Yeah. Um, not just that we're uh, that we've declared like days of renewal at four different points in the year, it's that each of these Rosh Hashanah, each of these New Years, each of these heads of year, has a specific character to it. So the the, the Mishnah says that the first of the month of Nisan is the head of year for kings and for Holiday, regalim, right? Regalium. Okay. So that would be regalium. like a,
0: almost yeah. like a civil year.
2: Mm, I don't know. Um. When. Well, you said for th-
0: kings, so that makes me think of government.
2: Yeah. Except remember that government for us is all mm-hmm. defined in terms of mitzvot. It's all defined. Right. In okay. Terms of okay. Bigger there That's is no, thing. yeah there's there's no separation here between yeah of
0: sacred and yeah, secular yeah you,
2: you don't have a separation sacred of, sacred of
1: synagogue between. and state over there yeah. Like.
2: right yeah the we do we do see when we when we say the so we make havdalah at the at the end of shabbat when we divide the sabbath from the weekdays we separate one out from the other and we make havdalah at the beginning of shabbat when we make what we call kiddush when we sanctify the Sabbath day with words and divide it off from the week before it, right? The um, I just lost my train of thought. This is perfectly,
0: um, we were talking about different kinds of
2: the different heads of year,
0: different heads of the year. No, no, no
2: after that, after that, uh,
0: kings, <laughs> the first one, first right, of the, Nisan there's seven, was yes. there kings. is a
2: separation between sacred and secular, right? Right. right. We, we, we We divide between we would say Kodesh, the sacred and whole, and the ordinary.
0: Um or the rest of time, all I, I, time?
2: I think it literally means the entropic. Um, it's, it's the same word for sand. Perfect. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. The things that you, pass
2: away. Yeah, and also for, it's related to the word to make something hollow or to yeah. desinctify something, which is okay. the sense in which it's used here. So the yeah. so we do have a separation like that, but what does that mean? Like hold doesn't mean that you just, um, that you're engaged with things that have nothing to do with toad you don't leave the the space of mitzvot. It means mm-hmm. that the, um, you can think of it as the, the the specificity of your actions has been lessened. So now there's more, um, you have more range of decision, okay. right? So on Shabbat you're, because there are 39 categories of creative labor that we refrain from engaging in on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, um, the range of activities that you can engage in is circumscribed, right? But those very things that we forbid are precisely the things that we needed to do in order to build the Mishkan, in order to build the tabernacle. Yeah. So it's not like those things are, you know, are bad sacred things. It's not their bad thing. shalom, God forbid. They're 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 wonderful things, but but they're things that have a wide range of application in your life. They're things like plowing your field planting your field right so those are things we're specifically forbidden to do on shabbat but they're things that absolutely must be done for the maintenance of life and those are the kinds of things that are permitted in whole so you have but how are you going to do that when are you going to do that all those kinds of things it opens up your your range of decisions so that's um just to, to that one specific point but um yeah okay so the first head of year it's the first day of the month of Nissan, the um, the spring month, and um, that's defined as the Rosh Hashanah for Malachim and for Regalim. Regalim, Malachim is king. Regalim is translated as holidays. Literally means length, because how did you celebrate your holidays here in Israel? Mm. You walked up to the temple. It, yeah. pilgrim, pilgrim pilgrimage obscures what it is, right? Nice. But it's it's a walk. You walk from your village, wherever you are, up to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, and is literally walking up because Jerusalem is in the mountain. All right. Okay. So- um, okay, so that's that's the first first year, okay, and that comes in conjunction with Pesach, with Passover. The next one is the first day of the month of Elul. Elul is the month before Tishrei. Elul is the month before. This is exactly one month before. What we're calling Rosh Hashanah. So that's okay. it's not that far before it's, These are not equidistant from each other. So it's right? the beginning
0: of the 6th month.
2: It's the, exactly, it's the beginning okay. of the 6th month. And that is um, that that is the new year for Ma'aser Behema. You have to you have to divide the uh, years in which your domesticated animals are born because you have to tithe them. And the tithing for one year can't be mixed up with the tithing for another year. So you have to have a definite oh. date to divide them. Okay. So The first day of the sixth month is defined as the new year for those domesticated animals.
0: For figuring out the tithe.
2: Right. Okay. Now (laughs) I have to admit, I have to admit there's a disagreement among the rabbis, whether (laughs) it should be the first day of the sixth month or the first day of the seventh. Okay. So there's one authority, or two authorities actually, who hold that it should be the first day of the seventh, which means that. Now you have two Rosh Hashanah, which coincide on the same, two heads of you. Okay, sorry, mm. it's a little too complicated. Okay. <laughs> the, next, the next Rosh Hashanah is the one that we've been talking about, the one that we just celebrated now. And what is the specific character of that? It is the Rosh Hashanah for Shanim, Lashmitim, Liniti A Lirakot. So it's the... English uh, A whole please. bunch of things there. Yeah, a whole bunch of things. <laughs> so it's the Rosh Hashanah for years. So we were, um, you know, four days ago, we were in the year... Um, Five, seven, eight, zero. Years from, well, years from what? That's okay. We'll get that, okay? But five five thousand seven hundred eighty. Now we're in the year five thousand seven hundred eighty. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So so that's when we, we switch years. It's for it's also the division for the Shemitah years, the um, sabbatical years, okay. and the yovelot. Mm-hmm. That's the jubilee year. This is when the division is, um, and also for um, for saplings and for, for vegetables. Again, it relates to to issues of tithing. Um, and then the fourth new year um, is. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if people outside outside of Jews have heard of this. Behad bishvat. This is Rosh Hashanah leilanot. It's the 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 New Year for trees. Um, okay. Tree. We have a, a new year for trees, which, again, is related to uh, which year the, the fruit comes out in. It um, okay. relates to tithing and issues like that. Um, and so there, according to some authorities, that's the first day of the month of Shvat, And according to other authorities, it's the 15th day, which is what we celebrate today. Tubishvat, if you've ever heard of that. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Oh, amazing. <laughs> It. So we've started
0: digging in and looking at, you know, the idea of the head of the year and time and sacred time and calendar. And I feel like there is a ton more stuff that we could talk about with respect to what just those three verses, but we're going to spend a ton of time doing that. Do we want to keep digging in or do we want to kind of focus in a little bit on this on the calendar and then talk about the idea of remembering and the shofar? Do we want to do we want to do that now or do we want to hold off and do that later and kind of focus in on the calendar and how, how that could
2: into our lives. Well, uh, here, how about I throw out some questions for you? Okay. Yeah. And, and then you you guys tell me where you want to go, what sounds maximally interesting. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, so, um, so Rosh Hashanah, the one that we just celebrated, mm-hmm. uh, is popularly known among Jews as Yom HaDin, as Judgment Day, or the Day of Judgment. Okay. Uh, but... That doesn't seem to be in the verses. And, um, and it's not so clear how judgment has anything to do with any of the specific character. I just talked about in terms of the sabbatical year and the uh, the jubilee year and uh, the number of the year. Like what what does judgment have to do with any of this? Um, I don't see Terminator written in the Hebrew. Terminator, <laughs> no. yeah, not there, not there. Um, so that's 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 one really important issue. What's going on with that theme? Where does that come from? Yeah. Um, how is that nascent or embedded in, in what mm-hmm. we're looking at in the Torah? Um, and then on a question that has to do with judgment, like judgment seems to have a lot to do with the years end. What does it have to do with the start of the year? So what it seems a little strange to associate judgment with the, the beginning of the year. Make a judgment day at the end of the year. Tell me it's the last day of the year. But we don't do that. Um, and then um, the something to come back to something we've talked about a few times in this conversation. Um, the verses that we've read mention zikaron, remembrance, or remembering, yeah. and shofar, like yeah. the Ram Tour. And you might wonder, what do those have to do with anything? Um, what is Zikaron about? What are we remembering? What is this a day of remembrance for?
0: Or who is, what remembering? is
2: remembering? What's the content? Who's remembering? Like, big question, right? And yeah. then the shofar, like, this is like, like I said at the beginning, you know, why do we do it? Because it's commanded. So thematically, does that relate to any of these other things? Um, so those are, those are all things that all, uh, boxes that, that need to be open, Um, but what order to open them up in and what what's most interesting for you? Um, you you tell me.
0: So it seems to me, and I'm totally open to another approach, but the idea of remembering is going to be embedded in a lot of different contexts. We'll be called to remember, if not a lot, in other places. And so, but the idea of Judgment Day Yom Hadin is something that seems more narrowly tied to what we've been talking about.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right.
0: So yeah. that seems kind of like, it, you know, maybe we explore that yom hadim briefly if we can do anything briefly um and then and then set aside remembrance and talk about it in another context but we pull this in
1: yeah uh i would like to explore this idea of judgment because again i mean i had to make a crack about terminator but the truth is uh, judgment day has got like a very specific meaning in the Christian oh, culture. Yes. That is not a day that we want to talk about. Like that's, I mean, we're talking Kirk Cameron movies like, more than and one you don't them.
0: want to celebrate no, it either.
1: No, no, no. Yeah. That's not a, it's not a fun day. That's like a, I mean, you know, there's, you know, that's, there's a lot of really negative connotation come with us with Christians talking about a judgment day. Yeah. And I'm, and, and this is where like, I kind of get selfish I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, what does this have to do with me? And mm-hmm. what, what can I do about a judgment? And I think that's the thing that I'd like to explore. Is, um, how does this, I, this Yom Hadim, how does that come back? To me, how does that affect my how I carry out my faith? Does that carry out how I do? Well, and is
0: this is this idea of judgment? Does it have? You're getting it, I think. Is does this have to be negative, or is there something positive embedded in that? And I think that there can be, depending on how we approach it, because judgment for me may be justice for someone else, and that may not be embedded at all in what Mayor's talking about. But yeah, uh,
2: yeah, I I think that all these connotations of the word judgment that you're bringing out are, are really important and really on point. And when we talk about, again, popularly in the Jewish world today, when we talk about Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we call these the Yamim Noraim. We call them the, uh, people will translate it nicely into English as the days of awe, but it's more literally um, the awful days, or the awe-filled days. Um,
0: awe-filled is better than awful. awful they are not the same. <laughs>
2: well i mean they can be did, but yeah, it used to be yeah there are uh there are a few places in psalm where david refers to um the bad day like yom ra right um, day of evil right day of evil um and it is literally it is day of evil it's not evil day because right. yom is masculine so you'd put it with the uh, if it were an adjective it would be yom ra but it's Yom Rahat, so it must be the Yom of Rahat, so he, as you said before, construct to compound it, yeah. right? So, uh, and there, th- then, on top of that, there, there are a number of places in uh, in the, the literature of the, the Jewish sages where uh, people ask, so what is that bad day, that day of bad, referring to, and it's mm-hmm. identified specifically with Rosh Hashanah, or Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, if it's plural. Okay. Huh. Whoa, that's sure. like, <laughs> that seems like a crazy thing to say about about this holiday that was established, right? About the Feast so of Comfort. Pro- so is it like super insensitive
1: then if we wish you a good Rosh Hashanah? Like all things considered, should I wish you a bad one instead?
2: <laughs> <laughs> like maybe out of character hard. for it to be good. Maybe it should be bad. Um, I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, so when we when we greet people, we wish them a Shana Tova Umetukah. We wish them a good, sweet year. Ah, well, that's um, nice. That's, that's, so, when
0: you're talking about the day of evil.
2: When you're talking about the, the day of evil. You know,
1: like, when oh, you wow. say that, that just makes me think that all Jews come from, like, Texas. That's exactly how... <laughs> it, I mean, a Texan We're would just... I mean, that that's very much like a very southern hospitality. It's like... Bless your heart. Bless
0: that it. kind of thing. Yeah. Bless
1: your heart. You don't know the difference between, you know, a... a, a an airplane an and a dragonfly bless your heart you're so you're so special like you know that that's what i'm just kind of hearing like oh, bless your heart you're going to have just a, a wonderful awful new year i hope it goes well for you bless your heart <laughs> like that's what i got is that
2: so mr car <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. mm-hmm. So then a-
2: after Rosh Hashanah, after the after judgment day, you, you tell people, so like, okay, you went through the judgment. Um, may you... Um, made the ceiling of your judgment go well. Because uh-huh. we have this idea there's an initial judgment, and then there's a period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur when, um, not that the judgment is flexible, but how the judgment will be dealt with is flexible. So, the things, things are literally in the balances, right?
1: Is there much optimism in the mitzvah? <laughs> well,
2: yeah. So, okay, so rather than rather than go down that route, I think there's, there's another yeah. um, more fundamental route to go over go go into it's not um it's not just that it's more optimistic more important right um the um so i'll tell you the, the way that that my rabbi understands this phrasing of the day of evil mm-hmm. is that it's not that the um it, it's that the it is a day when the character of the day is defined by the actions of creation. And so to the extent that we are still off base, evil is given sort of free reign on this day. Okay.
0: Huh. Well, that would kind of fit with some of Christianity's understanding mm-hmm. in a limited way of original sin and the or the fall and the way that creation so, is yeah, to that, to
2: that To that specific point, Rosh Hashanah is understood as the day of creation. It is the day, not when creation started, not the first day of creation, but the day when Adam, when when Adam was created. So day six. And, and since the day of the, uh, we, we don't say fall, we have a, a very different right. understanding of what was going on right but but the the day of the hate of the the sin of eating from the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that that day was the same day so the creation was all on one day and that's all rosh hashanah what yeah pretty intense right so when we count years when i said before you know we just finished the year 5780 we count those years from the creation of adam on the creation of adam now so you're going
0: he... through the genealogies and all of is that how you've counted it because i know there are some christians who take that approach that they'll count back through the genealogies and the lives and or is this was this yeah i
2: i wouldn't I, let let's save a whole some different creation for another time yeah but no yeah. i don't want to dig yeah. into
0: creation i'm just asking but, how you got yeah. the 5781 yeah, right.
2: Yeah, so exactly, it it works okay. with the with the genealogies, the the fundamental okay. midrash that discusses is called Seder Olam Rabbah, um, and there, it's if you look at the the method of it, it's uh, basically the absolute minimum number of years between the creation of Adam and now. Okay, that's what it would be.
0: So it's a minimum. So, okay. So you've got creation of Adam and the eating of the fruit in disobedience is it fair to say that you would call that disobedience i mean i don't want to go with fall because that's a christian notion but in a in disobedience to the lord's command
2: i, I think disobedience is a fair characterization okay of, i just
0: wanted to make sure yeah, i wasn't mischaracterizing yeah. your perspective
2: yeah I, this is this is a really really tricky one because i think there are really fundamental differences here yeah um, but but yeah just to point out that all that was was on one day in the jewish okay and so all that that's the
0: that's the day that you're I guess commemorating with this feast or with this celebration or holiday or
2: so right, how how
0: does judgment fit in here then
2: right so the so if we go back to the mission we look at the second in the section titled Russian then it says that there are four uh, chapters in which the world is judged and the each one again is a judgment for a particular thing right okay. so the judgment which is associated associated with this Rosh Hashanah, with the, the first day of the month of Tishrei, first day of the seventh month, is, um, is like an existential judgment. So it's not, um, for example, a, a, a few, two weeks from now on Sukkot, we'll have a judgment on the water for the year, right? So what, what's the nature of, of rainfall going to be? And for us, this is like rainfall works very differently here in, in the land of Israel. So we have a very different perspective on the role of rain and water in our lives. Um, but uh, but that's like, it's a judgment on how something is going to play out in the year. Whereas this Rosh Hashanah... So it's
0: perspective instead of retrospective when you're talking about judgment. It's ah, yeah, yeah. About,
2: it's yeah, not about a, the
0: past. It's mm-hmm. about...
2: About the future. It's about,
0: is it like like you're decreeing what will happen?
2: Yes, 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 okay. exactly. Yeah, oh perfect. Okay. Thank you. That's a beautiful um but the but when we're talking about the first day of the seventh month, we're talking about a judgment which is different in its very nature. So it's um the way that the Mishnah says it is that all the comings, all the creatures of the world pass before God like sheep. Like a flock of sheep and um, and then it quotes a, a verse from the psalms it says it's from uh, psalms uh, 33 the the one who forms together their heart who understands toward all their actions toward all their deeds. um so we're that just the first part of that verse to to emphasize that aspect of it, Hayotzer the the formation of all of creation together. So this is this is a universal judgment on the nature of all that exists. It's not this is not a judgment on the Jewish people or um uh not not just the Jewish people. This is a universal judgment on all of creation is the understanding of it. Um and uh and to see all of creation as uh in its shared existence is part of what's going on here, and and then the second half of that verse from Psalms looks at kol maasehem, all their deeds. So you look at how the, the how existence in a primal form branches off in all the variegated varieties that that exist, all the possibilities that are being explored. And those possibilities need to be brought into judgment. You could think of this kind of judgment as a kind of measurement, right? Like up until this point in the year, you know, Schrödinger's box has been closed. Now we're going to open it up and see, you know, is the cat dead or alive, right? Now we're going to measure. Um, This is a time to recalibrate. Um, So
0: it's almost almost like a restart in the middle of the year. Like, okay, so it started out pretty good, but then it went downhill. So then we're going to, here's a time when we're measuring that and revisit. Visiting it and starting afresh in the middle of the year.
2: Yeah, I can tell you, it really doesn't feel like we're we're midstream. Feels like it feels like uh, we are ending one year and beginning another. Okay. Um, okay. And then when we come to Pesach again, it really feels like we're ending one year and we're beginning another. So you like get two good...
0: years for the price of one. So you get two years of COVID.
2: That's that's uh, I guess Jews age prematurely or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry. You know, no, it just there. There's something. I guess it's like there are kind of overlapping dimension, time, mm-hmm. and it's just it really feels yeah. like you're you're starting over um, in a different kind of cycle. You could say, but part of the paradox of this particular time of year. Is that Sukkot, the Feast of Hut?
0: Yeah, uh,
2: uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles, yeah, <laughs> Feast of Tabernacles. I guess maybe Christians know what tabernacles mean. I mean, it's a mystery to me, but um, it's a totally different word, by the way. Um, yeah, no, but, I
0: know it is. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, so the the Feast of Huts, the Feast of Tabernacles, of uh, temporary dwelling places, um, is uh, very, very much the end of something. Feels like the culmination end of the year. And yet we just began a year. Like our beginning of the year, our new year was before we quite ended the year. So you really, there's a very, Strong feeling of sort of like being in a between time where we, mm. we are really starting the year and we are also are are still in the process of ending the previous. So,
0: is there a sense in which Rosh Hashanah is a time of preparation for what comes in fifteen days?
2: Um, I I wouldn't say that it's a, I, I don't okay. feel it as a sense of preparation. Um okay. But but to to see this as a as a unified period is, okay. is I think important and that. The truth is, if we were to, to look at it more um, in in wider perspective, Yom Kippur is actually, which is ten days after Rosh Hashanah, actually relates strongly back to Shiva Sarbatamus, which is we're looking at a at, at a an arc in time which okay. has uh, of a hundred twenty days. Um, okay. I think. The really cool thing so i've learned a lot just a lot of discussion
1: i mean yeah it's a lot but i mean you know christians coming at this like our eyes glaze over uh in leviticus you know going back to what i said earlier like we don't get it um and you know we've started down this path of like okay well what just happened what was this holiday that happened oh there's many different new years but they each have different characters and i love that um because Christians have this idea of their um, different characters of God, and it's kind of one way that you'll sometimes hear us try to trinity, but that's a completely separate thing. But the idea that these new year days, these heads of the year, like they have characteristics, and it's really neat to hear that this one, as opposed to the other one, um, is uh, definitely more spiritual, and you're not doing it just because it's a thing that showed up on the calendar. It's not. This isn't a January first. This is. Um, this is a command. We were never commanded to throw parties and shoot off fireworks on January 1st. That was just someone that had lots of explosives and too much alcohol. So (laughs) not a good combination, by the way. Right. Not a good combination, but that doesn't mean we're not going to do it because we're gonna. Um, But this is uh, part of your spiritual cycle that you have a cycle of uh, that takes you through the year. And you have to mention that uh, we do have this idea of judgment and yours apparently isn't like ours at all because ours sounds like a big downer. Um, and yours sounds like, well, no, no, this is commandment. You're told to do this. And it's just a natural flow and I, natural in the sense that, well, this is how you do your spiritual life. And that's something that's helping me kind of think about the more of, am I doing that in my spiritual? Am I, you know, uh, am I thinking about judgment? Am I thinking about and, and also, by the way, Mad Props, the fact that judgment being used nuanced. The judgment isn't just about sin, which was the first thing that came to mind when I heard that judgment. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just about sin. It's also, right. that judgment in terms of way, you know, comparing things on balance a scale mm-hmm. and this, you know, how this is leading out. So I, this has been a really interesting discussion. I'm starting to see how it's important that Christians like kind of dive into these things because I, I'm starting to
2: see. A thread where this should this should affect our spiritual life. So let let me tie together the themes of just of um judgment and creation mm-hmm. and I think that this will be very applicable for for your everyday experience. Yeah. Um my my slight hesitation in doing this is that I I feel like I'm kind of um pulling out a pu- pulling a rabbit out of the jewish hat. Um that it's not like this isn't this isn't going to all of a sudden, um, give you a different sense of, uh, of verse in the Psalms or in, right. uh, or in Genesis that you've read a thousand right. times. Um, but, but I think this is very, I think it directly addresses our experience of our existence. Yeah. Um, and, and this for me is maybe the, the, the basis for the, the profundity of of my experience of, of Rosh Hashanah. Um, and that's that when we talk about strict judgment and existence, nothing has a right to exist. There are no rights, there are no entitlements. <laughs> Nobody's entitled to anything. And yeah. And strict justice will strip away everything, not because of sin, though, you know, when we get down into the details of rosh hashanah we do talk about sin and merit and all that stuff and how things are weighed out and yes 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 all that's part of it but but all that is details in the understanding of the the emerging existence of this being who is being judged right and and the on a strict judgment level Nobody has any rights to end huh. And because of that, when we enter the day of judgment, in a sense, we enter with trepidation and with nervousness because nobody's entitled to anything. And how much yeah. of our lives do we go around as if we're entitled yeah. with no sense of our vulnerability, with no sense of, um, of how grateful doesn't even begin to touch the, the kind of acknowledgement that needs to be here but completely taking our existence for granted completely blind to the the wonder the utter shockingness of the fact that anything exists at all Mm, right right. this should be the most shocking thing and yet we become numb to it because we don't know anything other than stuff that exists so it's hard cognitively to not take this stuff for granted right um but that's the that's the the, the fear and trembling going into Rosh Hashanah, going into this judgment. And yet at the same time, it's, well, we'd say that the, the drive behind creation is, we could translate it loosely as the, the drive for, as love maybe, mm. right? Um, but the instrument of that creation is going to be the finding of boundaries, separating things out. It's that aspect of judgment. And and so the very thing- So
0: differentiation?
2: That, yeah, differentiation, okay. right. Okay. So the, the very thing that, that, that is causing us um, uh, th- this fear- going into the day is the same thing that makes us confident that we're coming out on the other side. Maybe not as an individual, as an individual, I might be damned, <laughs> like, that's possible, but you know, I, I'm an individual, it like, how much does it really matter? Like, I mean, I'm more concerned about, about creation itself than I am about my individual existence. Nobody is going to justify themselves. nobody's going to come off of this saying like oh yeah i deserve to be here right (laughs) but that's built into the nature of creation nobody can do that and god doesn't expect anybody to be able to do that so Uh what what is going on here right what rosh hashanah is coming to do on a very deep level is to reaffirm god's will to creation right there's not going to be any reason for creation nothing's going to justify this but there is a will that's reaffirmed here and we can become a part of that will.
0: And I love what you just said, because I mean, it ties into not in the nuances, but into the understanding that I've developed over the years of studying Hebrew scriptures. But there, I think among many Christians is this misconception that Jewish people or people who are going by the old Testament think that they can earn their relationship with God and things get mischaracterized. And that is so against everything that you just said. And in Christian terms, we would Mm -hmm. talk about God's, Mm -hmm. I think we would tie this to the idea of God's grace,
2: unmerited
0: gift and favor that we can in any sense relate to God and that he even has created the world. And so yep. I love how you've how you've drawn out all these nuances that I was not aware yeah. of.
1: You you just perfectly summarized one of the tenets of the Christian faith, which is Ephesians two eight nine. Not even our faith that saves us everything is, you know, grace, it's everything is a gift. And you've just I wasn't expecting to find such a core a piece of the Christian faith built into your your Rosh Hashanah, but I mean uh, yeah, like you just you just very well and succinctly described what it means for us to be a Christian that we too don't deserve to be here, and we didn't earn any of this, and that seems like really inspiring and mm-hmm. that's a really motivating thing
0: well in the way in the way you've tied it back to a calendar and a day of remembrance and you know historically the christian church has had a sacred or ecclesial calendar where you had advent and you had christmas and Mm -hmm. you had lent and you had easter and you had ordinary time and and they went through but a lot of contemporary i'll say evangelicals maybe uh, maybe i should go wider and say protestants have lost that Mm -hmm. focus on a calendar. I've run into people who've never heard of Lent or heard of of this calendar. And so as we talk about looking at how Christians might draw on this, I think we see in Leviticus, back to her, this idea of sacred time and that there are times that are special and there are times that are different. And I'm not saying that Christians are commanded to live by the mitzvot, like you would would talk about, Mare. But is it a way that God has given his people, the Israelites originally, to relate to him and to relate to one another and to relate to the world that shapes the way they think about things? And maybe that tells us that we need to think about things that relate to time, yeah. A little bit differently, whether it's so. participating mm. and actually practicing a Sabbath, not as a day that you go to church and go out to eat and then do all, do all your fun things or get your extra work done, but a day of rest yeah. maybe. And we could dig into that some other time, but also this idea of a calendar and a time when we stop and reflect and not just showing up at church first thing on Christmas and Easter but thinking about time in a different way. I don't know, I mean, Frank, what do you think from a Christian perspective?
1: I love the idea of learning about sacred time because I've never had anyone challenge me to make time sacred.
2: Mm. Wow, amazing. Thank you so much for bringing that up. It's amazing to see things in that light for me too. Yeah. So So what, what might
0: we try, you know, in the coming weeks or months, Frank?
1: I don't know. Um, I'm going to read Leviticus.
0: Definitely. Yeah, we definitely need to read Leviticus or at least read Leviticus 23.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, I I mean, I went through my notes that, so I decided to go through the Torah in a year, uh, uh, about two years ago, and I went through my notes that I I wrote for uh, Vaikra, and none of this was covered in my notes. I didn't Mm. get any of this so i'm a little disappointed myself i, I miss some spots no no uh, no but i mean
0: well but he's brought a whole new set of information for us to bring to yeah. it that we don't have this body of tradition that helps yeah. flesh it all out we're trying to just find the answers in the text
1: right out
0: the tradition that surrounds it that enriches the understanding
1: yeah. so uh, yeah, I think it would be good for us to start exploring this idea of sacred time and um, the calendar and I'm a perfectly okay, um, especially this idea that this ties back to creation. That's such a mind blowing thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that I think we should discuss it soon because uh, I don't want to
2: let go of that idea. Should we let on? Yeah, go
0: ahead. Yeah,
2: yeah, let's do it. So in our next episode, we are looking forward to a discussion with Tracy Rhodes. That is Traces of Faith, Tracy Rhodes.
0: Yep, and she has a new book out, I believe this year, Not All Who Wander Are Lost, and appreciating within Christianity the different ways that we have interpreted and read scripture and the different ways that we worship God, and exploring different aspects of Christian faith and what she has learned on her journey. So I think that kind of fits with some of <laughs> what we've talked about in this episode.
2: Yeah, Tracy uh, is, a, is a friend on Twitter, and um, it was actually thread on her Twitter that sort of put this podcast into motion. She was commenting on, she said something to the effect of like, you know, I think sometimes the Jews have insights into the text that we should learn from. Because Tracy is like that. She's always looking to Mm -hmm. learn from other people. Mm -hmm. Um, She's a perennial learner, but I think she also has a a lot to teach people. um, And it's only
0: appropriate that we have her since she was the one Mm -hmm. that brought all this together.
2: Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to having her on. So let me wish Kol Ba'ehaulam, all of the everybody walking around in creation, a Shana Tova a good sweet year. Happy good sweet year, you. y'all. Thank you.